If you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and today we're honored to have Kyle Makrowski on. Kyle joins us. Uh, he's a construction project ex- executive for Banner Health, but uh, equally interesting is he's the founder of Ripple Intent, a nonprofit focused on improving the way we work. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, I'm excited to dig in to your career path and, and how uh, Ripple Intent came about. I think it was influenced, if I'm not mistaken, from the different positions you've held on both the owner side and in the industry or, or on the consulting side. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it, that's a fair statement. I've been in this industry for a long, long time and, and I've seen a lot of different things and thought we would try to chase something to do something a little bit better than what was considered, I guess, and may still be the status quo. So let's let's jump in right there. Where did your career start? Where'd you go to school? How'd you end up in the construction field? Yeah, great question. Um, so way back in the day, I uh, started at uh, Purdue University, building construction and management. Um, didn't go to school for that. I went to school for physics. But uh, huh. the second year realized that there were two career paths there that I knew of. One was research and one was teaching and neither was appealing at the time. So I uh, started looking around and, and ended up in the construction management program. It was a fantastic program led and taught by many wonderful people and the program still goes strong today. And then when I graduated, I, I accidentally began a research project uh, my senior year of that of the undergrad and ended up in grad school continuing that research project. Uh, it was about combining technology in the construction field, trying to figure out a way to bring more technology into our overall industry. Hmm. And so that led into a couple different opportunities post-grad school and ultimately spent a little bit of time on the subcontractor side, spent some time inside a construction technology firm, and then landed where I've been for many, many years now, and that's on the owner side. Tell us about your your uh, research and the, the thesis of the construction technology or, or bringing technology into construction. What was, I'm just curious what it was and, and has it come to fruition here uh, however many years later? Yeah, so this was around 2000, 1999, 2000. Um, Palm Pilots were all the rage. And what we were trying to figure out how to do is incorporate more field use of technology to collect information, be that material specific information, labor, productivity, um, all obviously feeding back to your estimate, your schedule, and of, and of course, your daily reports. So cool. we were looking at ways to manage information using the tools that were becoming available at the time. For, for our younger listeners, a Palm Pilot is like Gen Zero uh, iPad or iPhone, uh, without the phone and, uh, cell phone technology. I got, I got issued one as a, as a plebe at West Point and it was supposed to be this, you know, it was supposed to change our lives and I don't think anybody ever actually even used it. Um, (laughs) but that's the way it goes. Um, tell us, so at some point in time, 
you you went on the owner's side and then Ripple Intent was founded. Where were you? What was going on? How did this brainchild come about? And then we'll talk about what Ripple Intent is. Yeah, yeah. So back in, uh, it was it was late 2000s, around 2010 or so, uh, ended up in Portland, Oregon at uh, the Academic Medical Center that's up in Portland, Oregon, and was somewhat thrust into a, a leadership position there and of the internal designing construction capital project delivery team. And um, turns out that there were a number of folks who were working there that were very similar to folks all around the country in, in the same position. Um, if, if you took a snapshot of any of these project managers, internal project managers workload, and you looked at their projects and you would see at that time, many projects were over budget, many were behind schedule. And um, the project managers who were tasked with those, those projects were frankly exhausted. And so one of the first things to do as the incoming leader was try to figure out what's going on. And when you talk to these folks, if they had a t-shirt, it would say, it's not me, it's this place. <laughs> they would articulate very well how challenging it was to do their job. They were constantly hit up with unrealistic schedules, unrealistic budgets, um, very demanding clients. They were constantly reminded that they were there to serve the people who actually drive the institution and not necessarily uh, collaborate with those people. Hmm. And so they kind of gave up at some point. And the conversation would be, let's, let's look at your projects and many of them are over budget. And the answer would be, yes, they are. And then it would be, well, what are you doing to get them back on budget? Nothing. <laughs> you go, what do you mean? Nothing, right? There's all kinds of opportunities. He says, no, you don't understand. In this place, whatever you would try, you're going to get crushed. If you solve one problem, another problem is going to show up. You have all these internal services that are competing. You have your, your own folks that are competing. You have vendors that are competing. You, you, just, you just do what you have to do in order to get to the next meeting. And so... It was, well, well, but we're building all of these fantastic things, right? You read these RFPs and you talk about, you hear about these people who they want to do healthcare, they want to do research, they want to do academia. And he goes, yeah, they're, they're just saying what they need to do to get the job. And so you keep digging into this. And what you find is you find a lot of people are just basically complacent. So in my naive perspective, I would ask, well, why don't you go somewhere else? And the answer would always be the very, very similar. Where else am I going to go? It's no different no matter where you go or... I have a mortgage, I have a family, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, okay, this, this is a challenge. Let, let's go look around. So in Portland, uh, wonderful community in design and construction, and the AAC community is strong. And I had the opportunity to meet with my peers at uh, many other organizations. I met Intel and Nike, uh, the community college, uh, the K-12s, uh, Portland is always investing heavily in its own K-12 program. So I met some of those folks, some of the other healthcare organizations. So I got to meet this breadth of owners who were delivering massive capital projects, serial builders, if you could call them that. And you start talking about what they're doing. And of course, they're going to talk about their product. We build great fabrication plants, or we build fantastic areas to design clothing and shoes and, and so forth and so on. But when you get past what they're building, what you find very quick is their challenges are all very, very similar to the ones that the folks that I inherited were facing. 
you have unrealistic expectations, you have ever-changing environments, you have changing clients internally, you have other internal support services and so forth and so on. And so it turned out we all had something very in common and that was we were all a bunch of people trying to do something. So I asked those folks and said, we're all, we, we, we all seem to be trying to solve the same problem. What if we all got together and tried to solve the same problem together? And surprisingly, some of them said, yeah, sure, I'll try that. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you know? There, from that became this thing called Ripple Intent. Uh, and tell our listeners what Ripple Intent is. So it's a nonprofit organization that we formed in order to try to better ourselves as human beings in the way that we work together. So we focus primarily on the design and construction industry. That's where we're all from. We're all volunteers that make it happen. And we host a variety of events that help us experience and practice just being better people. Give me an example of what it means to be better people under the Ripple Intent umbrella. Yeah, it's a great question. So we focus a lot on self-awareness. Mm. Uh, we we meet and talk and participate and collaborate with so many people in how we deliver our business that knowing who you are, what pushes your buttons, what turns you on, what gets you excited, what makes you drive, what gets you to participate actively in meetings, how you behave, how you react, knowing all those things makes you so much better for those, uh, those that you work with and those around you. Um, so you started out, I, I'm, I want to dissect this a little bit because I agree that there's a complex group of stakeholders in the construction side of the project delivery. You got engineers, architects, sub-consultants, sub-contractors, general contractors, owners, reps, and then you have the owner. And then inside the owner's organization, you have the end users, especially in a healthcare system where... You've got head charge nurse and you've got different docs that have different egos. Um, how does what you're doing in Ripple Intent improve the ability to deal with those stakeholders and improve really the, uh, I'll call it the project experience between owner and the construction capital project delivery team? It's a great question. There's a lot there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll bring it down to this. There's the internal project delivery team of all the different players, consultants, and then there's the stakeholder and user stakeholders and, and you as really the project executive from the owner's side, how does this improve your interaction between the construction project team and your end users? Well, in one hand, I would answer your question by saying, first of all, they're, they're all on the same team. They're all a part of the project. And so your internal clients, your internal users, your external folks that you hire, you're all on the same team. You're all on the project delivery team. Now, what does that really mean? And how does that play out? Some people have different perspectives, right? We've all experienced internal users that will, will participate uh, early and then also show up at the end and tell you everything you did was wrong. Um, there's those that will, will do something in between. There's those who want to micromanage, uh, be involved in every single step along the way. What we really do is borrow a lot of the intent behind the IPD methodology of truly a collaborative delivery process. And so I'll give you an example. We have, um, all the folks IPD we... for those who don't know it for us, Kyle. 
Yes, sir. Internal or um, integrated project delivery. So there's multiple ways to deliver a project uh, contractually. And this was one method that came out a number of years ago that really tried to contractually force people to act and behave in each other's interest as opposed to their own self-interest. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to align it, it. If you think of a project really as a small company, you take a whole bunch of people that come together with resources and are tasked to deliver a product and then go away. And so you can do that in a couple different ways. One, you can all come together and assume that everybody knows their professional role, which most of the time people do. And hope that everyone just figures out, knows the rules of the game and you start playing and eventually you get your product because everyone fills their role. The reality is, is that's not so true. And so when a physician comes in or a academic lead comes in or someone who's driving a brand new uh, tool and die system, say at, at Intel, when they come to the table, they have their own experience of what this should be, right? They have an expectation of what that's the, the project experience is going to be. I'm going to say what I want. This group of people over here is going to draw some stuff. I'm going to sign some plans. I don't really understand, but it sounds good to me. Then these people over here will go build it for the amount of money they say they'll build it for. And then somewhere along the line, they'll point the finger back at me and back at the people who drew the plans and say, you got it wrong. So now you have to pay me more. <laughs> and that's not a very good experience for anybody, right? But that's an all too common experience. And so what we first say from a ripple intent standpoint is the whole purpose is to better how we work together, which means all those things I just described, we don't want to repeat. Well, that sounds really easy because we'll just start up the project and say, we're not going to do those things. Well, that's a lot easier said than done. So how do you actually do that, right? How do you build trust? What does that even mean? How do you build authenticity? How do you create a space where people can truly engage with each other in a way that's not going to allow us to fall into what have been deemed tried and true industry habits? My, uh, my head's all over the place because I've seen this play out in the residential level where it's husband, wife building, you know, just, just renovating their kitchen up to $1.5 billion military construction project of an R&D facility where there's multiple star generals and multiple senior executive services. And everybody is excited at groundbreaking or at the partnering session. But as things go from idea and handshakes to paper to construction in the field and user requested changes and change orders, or that wasn't in the scope, it's going over budget. Uh, inevitably, the defense mechanisms start start coming into play. And those defective the, the number one defense mechanism is to blame somebody else. So it sounds like through self-awareness and through, you know, kind of understanding of roles and responsibilities, you, you at least educate everybody on, on how the process is going to be and who's role, who, who plays what roles. How do you get into the, how do you navigate the blame game or proactively manage the blame game when, Budget, quality, and schedule all seem, and, and I'll call quality the user's wants that change or evolve as they get further into the project because it starts to become real, right? I think of a residential owner, again, 
the finishes and fixtures that were specced by the builder and were builder grade. Now that's not the custom thing I saw on the DIY network of, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. So <laughs> what, what you're talking about between that, that honeymoon period and then, okay, now we're into the, the long-term relationship. We're actually working together, trying to figure stuff out. It's surprising how many of the little things come out that become really big issues. So I'll give you an example. Um, when you're, when you're going through a project and you have a multitude of people, one of the great things that we've used for many, many years now is email, right? Very simple tool. We all assume we know how to use it. Well, guess what? We all use it a little bit different. In some cases it's wildly different. Specifically, one of the questions we ask, you take 10, 12 people or so, and you start off a project and you get them all together and you ask them, all right, this group of people is going to pass a lot of information around. Okay. We're going to email stuff. We're going to send links. We're going to send documents. We're going to send things, right? Where do you stand on sending thank you emails to each other? Do you want to reply all and say, thank you? Do you want to reply individually and say, thank you? Do you not want to reply at all? And you will be surprised in this world right now, there are two succinct camps of people <laughs> that answer that question. And when you open that door to let them talk about that small thing, you can imagine now when you get to the point where you're talking about where you have major issues at hand, right? You've got people who are on edge, they're frustrated, they're stressed, they're working way too many hours and they get that thank you email and they go, oh, for crying out loud, we talked about that. Why more, right? It just some becomes what should be not a problem at all becomes this massive irritant. And so what we try to do is we try to get all that all that drama out up front and go, here's the stuff that causes drama, mm. right? And here's one of the things that cause drama. It's the way we talk to each other. So before we get all irritated and frustrated and have to hash it out, let's talk about it now and agree what's our rules of engagement going to look like. And so something as simple as let's talk about this thank you email thing, this protocol, it turns into some other issues, right? Are, are we going to text each other? How are we going to capture thoughts? How are we going to capture decisions, right? So that's one way up front in, in addition to your scope, schedule, quality, right? Budget. Let's talk about how we're going to actually talk and work together. This is really important. So that's part of the self-awareness thing that we were mentioning. Um. I'm gonna gonna jump here a little bit because of this and because your role. Um, I'm sure you've had plenty of leadership challenges and plenty of project challenges. Any one specific that stands out and and where this change in philosophy or this approach has proactively led to a much richer project engagement? Oh, absolutely. Um, we. we <laughs> So, so one of the things around Ripple Intent is understanding where people are and where you are and allowing that to take place. So we, we had a project just recently where we have um, a number of folks who are not happy with each other. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, I'm getting quips and comments and phone calls in different directions from different people with, you read between the issues and you realize they're all misaligned at the moment. Nobody is on the same page. And so bring this, it's a small team. It's not many. We bring them together and we say, time out. 
what I'd like to do is I'd just like to go around the meeting and ask everybody, how are you generally feeling about the project right now? Now we use strength finders from Clifton strength finders. Um, we use it a lot in ripple intent. We use it beyond belief. We use it for a lot of our projects. And so my question to this team was, I want you to think about a couple of your strengths and which ones are intentioned right now. So for those of us who don't know Clifton strength finders, it's another personality assessment. And it's one that we've gravitated to now for over 10 years because the assessment ranks 34 qualities, 34 strengths of every individual. And of those 34, they say your top five are the ones that you have the most potential to excel in. And so focus on those and don't worry about the rest. Now there's all, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it for sure. But the nice thing is, is, is it kind of throws all the HR people into an uproar. Cause they're like, you know, five year, find your weaknesses to improve in the next year. <laughs> and what this says is don't worry about those, right? Focus on your potential. And so in this project, we get everyone together and they say, okay, so, so help me understand which of your strengths are intention and why. And stereotypes are for a reason. And so the engineer says, you know, we had a plan and we're changing it and it's frustrating me because we had a plan. We did our homework. We knew what we were going to do. We made a decision. Now we're changing. And the owner says, well, other stuff came up. So now I'm telling you, I have needs. You asked me what my needs were. So now I'm telling you my needs and you're telling me that you don't care about my needs. And then the project manager is saying, I have a schedule to deliver. So I'm in tension with that. I'm supposed to deliver this. And I have this thing called consistency. And so we made decisions and now we're going back on our decisions. And so we heard a lot of those same feelings, really, because that's all it really was, is how are you feeling? Right. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling intention. I'm feeling pulled in different directions. So I'm feeling the way that I'm wired is being challenged by some of the people on this team. And it's frustrating. And so you give everybody 10, 15 minutes, right? You go around the room, you listen to that. And then we go, okay, anything else going on? Okay. Is anybody on this screen right now a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, right? You talk to them individually and it's, you know, so-and-so this and so-and-so that, but then you have them, let them kind of vent, air it out, get out what's truly on their heart, talk to each other, look at each other and go, okay, does anyone on the screen really not trying to do the right thing? And of course, everybody goes, yes, we are. Okay, great. So now what do we do? Well, what are we really frustrated about? So that's an example where a, a 10 or 15 minute conversation, which we had on the screen, which actually worked, I way prefer to do it in person, but you know, this day we're, right. we're doing everything. So you, you allow people that space and, and almost pull out of them how they're truly feeling and what it's related to. And you can bypass and diminish so much of that, that drama so fast. There's still a lot of tension. Don't get me wrong. But now the tension is focused on the issues of the project mm. and not about the personalities between the people. Yeah. So the, the tension of like, oh, that's going to cost us money or there's, there's a change order there or all that, that's, that's going to happen. But at least through this, you're facilitating better communication and you're focused on solving the issue or the problem versus attacking the individuals. Correct. And then in that scenario, are you part of the day-to-day -day project delivery team or are you coming in and, and helping the day-to-day -day people just kind of take a breath and, and help shift the perspective as project executive or as the, the owner? Yeah, the latter. Okay. Um, so my team, my team is the one who's involved in the day to day. And of course, there too, they, they, there's, there's often 
unclear or or self-created expectations of I'm not supposed to participate or I'm not supposed to bring issues to my boss right. or, or if I can't solve this, then I'm not doing my job well and reiterating to them on a regular basis. We, we are a team, truly we are a team and you leverage the people on the team that you have around you, the right person doing the right job at the right time. And so if you're all in tension, bring in someone who's not involved with that tension to help you become less tense. Totally. And that's, that's a, that's success, right? When you know to raise your hand to ask for help. But again, that takes effort and work on my end to make sure that they're not being judged because they're raising their hand and asking for help. And, and that's, uh, it, that right there is a difficult, you know, you, you want to create the sense of urgency or the sense of responsibility and accountability to solve problems, but you also want to be available to uh, bring in the strategic perspective or the fresh perspective or the non-tense perspective to the project team. Uh, any guidance on, you know, all the leaders that are listening, they're juggling, Hey, I'm trying to get the most out of my team. I'm trying to let them develop themselves and let them take initiative and let them solve the problems. But I also want them to know that they can raise an issue to me. What's your approach uh, in your organization to, to juggle in those two dichotomies or that. Dichotomy. Oh, it's, it's a lot of vulnerability in, in self and in our team, right? So they have to see me practice, uh, what we preach and then also give them opportunities to practice as well. And that's really what ripple, ripple intense about is finding ways to practice. So I'll give you an example on that. Um, so along the strength finders thing in our own staff meeting, the, uh, we have weekly, uh, we have a couple of people who drive a lot of icebreakers in that and icebreakers can be meaningful. Uh, they're a little more than, you know, what kind of Italian food do you like? Um, but they're also chicken parm. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And, um, so we, we often tie it back to strengths finders and it's not always easy when you say, okay, which of your strengths were challenged in the last week or which ones did, did you feel you excelled in, in the last week? And so uh, sometimes when you share one that you were challenged with, it can become somewhat personal and a little vulnerable or very vulnerable. And it's kind of scary when you wade into that. Um, but when you do, it definitely shows. And I'm not talking vulnerable, you know, where you're crying because of something, right? Um, a, a, an issue like you watched a show last night on Netflix and it really tugged at your heart and you were, you know, in tears because the guys died and the dog died. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when I was working with somebody on Monday, I felt X, Y, and Z. And because of that, I was really wrapped up for a few hours that day or, or most of the afternoon. And then, you know, point to someone else in the room and I shared it with you and you saw me and, and you heard it. And, and when you talk about those interpersonal dynamics as a, as a team, right and you share that this is what happened, then that gives them the permission to do the same. Um, of course, it helps when it's work focused. I, I often have, I have one strength called deliberative. What that really means is I can see the worst case scenario in just about anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> Luckily for me, it's not my top strength. So it only comes out when I'm stressed. And when it comes out, when I'm stressed, it comes out often in a lot of questions. Um, and I, I can sometimes over question people. So someone will come to me and say, Hey, we got a great idea. We're going to do this. Or someone will surprise an initiative on me at work and say, okay, we are now going to do X, Y, and Z. And my first thing will go, 
because I'm surprised and now I'm stressed, my first response will be, I will ask you 72 questions to figure out how this is not going to fail. And I used to work with somebody who had this and it was his number one. And you would ask him if you wanted to go to lunch and literally he would say, what time are we going? Where are we going? How are we getting there? Who's going with us? What time are we going to get back? What do I have to do after lunch? All in about that 10 second period where you just said, Hey, do you want to go to lunch? Yeah. And you would go, I don't want to ask this guy to go to lunch anymore. <laughs> and so, but he's a great guy, but that's what would go through his head. He was just externally processing. And so in my example, right, where I share, I was surprised the other day and some of you saw me right in this meeting and I got, I was asking a lot of questions and I did certainly sound like I was shooting down this, this idea and it was my deliberative strength coming out and I'm, I'm not real, not real proud of how it came out because in the moment I wasn't as self-aware as I could have been. And I certainly set the tone and changed the direction of the meeting just because of, of the way I went about going and asking those questions. So having my own self-awareness and then articulating examples like that in front of my team on a regular basis, they have now mirrored that tenfold and feel compelled to do it with each other. That's great. I, I, and I think when you say vulnerability, you're really bringing in the human condition to the relationship again. Like we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all react. We all have emotions. We all bring different, you know, baggage, uh, to the, to the conversation or to the meeting or to our, to our work. And therefore I don't expect everybody to act like robots that perfectly do every task or have every conversation. We're, we're all human beings. Um, right. I'm going to highlight this in, you know, it, it's kind of a side track here, but um, similar to Ripple Intent, I have a classmate from West Point that launched the Positivity Project. And it was about, it's about leadership and character in elementary and middle school. And it's teaching character traits so that you create this self-awareness of what character traits are and that different people have different strengths in those character traits. So it's, um, it, it's giving them the vocabulary to one, articulate their own feelings and their own traits to, to identify and recognize those strengths and character traits in others. It's called the positive Pro positivity project. I'll make sure we hit that in the show notes. Thought it was a, a worthy diversion. We're actually trying to implement it into uh, some sports teams now, uh, because I think we, you know, at, as adults, the work environment has been this place where, you know, you perform or don't perform, you succeed or you fail. Uh, you have a boss that has expectations and you either deliver on those or you don't. And I think that through self-awareness education and the, and the earlier we can, we can put that in place, the better off we are, we, we can help people better understand their strengths, better understand the human condition in other people too. Um, all right, jumping here, some rapid fire questions, uh, outside of ripple intent, is there anything going on in, in public policy or society that you're, you're big and involved in workforce development? Oh, talk to me. Absolutely. So, uh, <sighs> it's been an issue I've heard about in this industry for, for many, many years. Um, it certainly still is an issue. And um, as, as we face 
workforce shortages, not only in Colorado, but also in some of the other areas where we operate healthcare facilities, uh, we continue to struggle with workforce from a, a trade contractor perspective. And so trying to find and make those connections and bring together people who are trying and have found some solutions to help drive kids, especially into the trades, and then also help those who run those organizations become better at running those organizations so that they are more attractive uh, to people who are seeking work. I've uh, been involved with that for many years, got more formally involved in that in the last few years, um, about three years now. And uh, it, it's, it's a challenge. It's certainly a challenge. Um, I obviously try to hit it from the, from the company side to help people better understand how to be better companies, <laughs> how, to, how to lead better organizations, to be more attractive, to bring that to their employees. And then also through various county and federal programs to try to make those connections. Uh, any, any programs worth highlighting that, that people should be aware of? There's more out there than you can imagine. Um, there's a lot of people trying to impact this space. Uh, there's a lot of public partners that are out there that are trying to impact this space from the county to the WIOA folks, um, the state level. Um, there's there's just more than, than I had any idea. And, and those that I've spoken to had very little idea that there were so many different ways to get people who are seeking work, underemployed, in the wrong job in general, um, connected with those who need staff. Uh, who need employees and need workers. So reach out to somebody who you may know in local government, just say, I'm looking for some help with workforce and you will be connected faster than you can imagine. Awesome. Um, favorite quote and why? <laughs> so I, I would go back to um, uh, The Man in the Arena hmm. by Roosevelt. That is by far my favorite. I was labeled that once. Um, I got a thank you note who was, what was written to me and, uh, that, and that person quoted him and said that that's what I saw you do. Hmm. And I went, okay. And I liked that one. Um, because it also ties into a part of what Benet Brown says about when you're on the ground in the arena and what she speaks to. So first the man in the arena is when you're facing the crowd and everyone's against you, you're still there. Um, that's the very, very, very short version of it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, Benet Brown's talk talks about when you're knocked down while you're in that arena and you're on the ground, society has led us to believe that you as a person are defined by how fast you get back up. And that's not necessarily true. That's actually not true at all. What's amazing is if you do get knocked down and you're on the ground take a moment to take a breath and look around because you'll be surprised at who else is on the ground around you hmm. and we'll find some peace and comfort by just being there with you in the moment then get up when you're ready hmm. I've, I, I've listened to Brene Brown I, I didn't catch that I knew that that um, that quote was part of her title I forget the title of her her book um, but that's also one of my favorite quotes. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, must read book. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's too many. Um, but you mentioned you mentioned 
about the positivity project, was it? Yes. And so when you're describing that, there's a fantastic book out there. It's a, it's a long read. It's called the road to character. And I, I'm David slipping off. Yes. Thank you. Um, that one I have pulled so many pieces from, it was such a, uh, uniquely written book in the way he case studied so many different people that had so little to do with each other at all. Um, but to demonstrate, and I remember hearing about that book when I found out that Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks uh, recommended it as his, one of his must reads for most of his coaching staff. Hmm. And, and, and for our audience, we'll, we'll link that in the uh, show notes, but it's what, what he does is dissects people. We, we uh, admire and we talk about the success or the, the work resume and he talks about the eulogy resume and that you know the the things that really matter are the things that are talked about at your eulogy and uh how we should spend more time cultivating our our character <laughs> uh it's it's pretty powerful and is definitely a good perspective shift uh dead or alive if you could hang out with three people for a day who would they be and what would you do um certainly general Patton from world war two. All right. Um, I don't know if I'd want to hang out with him for the entire day, <laughs> <laughs> but always been very, very, uh, impressed and, uh, in awe of his, um, tenacity would probably be the best way to put it. Um, I would, I would say, uh, the second that comes to mind would be Michael Lewis, the author mm. who, uh, has written so many, and I've pulled so much from his material over the years. Uh, so many, so many amazing people he has crossed paths with. Um, and then I would, I would be generic on the third one and say pretty much any of the people that he characterizes in many of his books. So the, the books that he writes, he often finds the handful of people who are going against the trend, who recognize the danger of the trend and try to do something about it. And the most recent one was about the pandemic. And he found the people who basically saw it coming before it came, jumped up and down and everyone called them crazy. Um, so those kinds of people huh. who basically what's, don't back down. What's the title of it? I, I knew the big short. I knew Moneyball. I, what's the, do you know what the name of the pandemic one was? Um, I do. And the premonition. The premonition. All right. Is there anybody in the construction industry, and I, I use that broad stroke, engineering, construction, uh, development, architecture, that's a must interview on the show? Rex Miller. Rex Miller. Hands down. Written multiple books. First one was uh, <laughs> probably one of the worst titles, and he'll even admit that. It's uh, the Commercial Real Estate Revolution. But... Uh, he, he is a fantastic author, um, does a lot of work with, with teams in construction, um, works with me on a number of efforts for Ripple Intent. Just an amazing, amazing guy. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll be begging you for an intro there. Um, last, it's really the floor is yours. Uh, any message to our audience? Uh, it's kind of a mixed bag audience. You know, some people are just coming into the industry and we're, we're trying to help with that workforce development, specifically at veterans. Some are, are leaders and owners. Some are on the private sector. Uh, anything you want to leave with them? 
all I would say is, is when you, when you get engaged on a project, it's very similar to if you take a whole bunch of people and you sat down and started playing poker, but nobody gave you the rules. No one talked about what the rules are and no one explained what rules you're playing by. You just all sat down and started playing. Eventually you'll figure out what the rules of the game are. Eventually there'll be some frustration. There'll be some anger. There'll be some arguing, right? But you'll eventually figure it out. And for some reason we, we start construction projects the exact same way. We start capital projects the same way. We assume that everybody's coming to the table and they know the rules of the game and we just start playing. And the scenario you described before starts to play out over time because no one ever said, Hey, what are the rules? Hmm. So it doesn't matter how many times you've done this. It doesn't matter how many projects you've delivered. It doesn't matter how big or small. It doesn't matter what vertical it is. It doesn't matter what the product is. I would encourage you to take a few minutes when you get started, whether it's your kickoff meeting or whatever you call it, and ask each other, what's the point of the project? Why are we all here? What do we care about? How do we want to act? How do we want to behave? What do we love about this industry? What do we loathe about this industry? What do we not want to do? And will we give ourselves permission to hold each other accountable when we do the things that we said we're not going to do? If you go through that conversation, which sounds so simple, but is, believe me, very, very difficult to have, genuinely have. If you give yourselves just a few minutes to talk about what are the rules of the game, the game is a heck of a lot more fun to play. Yeah. Well, and I I can't thank you enough for, for saying that. I think the, the thing I would emphasize there is, to your point, that's not an easy conversation to have. And it's even, even harder conversation to get started in the rough and tough, I'm the smartest guy in the room industry. Um, so it takes the leader that's willing to be vulnerable, willing to be positive, because at the end of the day, everybody wants to have a little more fun in these projects and everybody wants to have a little bit more enjoyable engagement. I, I think it's a rare breed that that really gets off on the combativeness of where these things inevitably go. Uh, but you got to start right to stay right. And and that kickoff meeting is where the the temperament and the environment and the culture of that project team is going to be established. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, Kyle Makrowski, where can people find out more about you, connect with you, or find out more about Ripple Intent? Sure. Follow me on, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn under my name. Uh, we also have a Ripple Intent LinkedIn site and rippleintent.org is our website. You can find all of our events there. We do have a monthly virtual breakfast club, which is typically the third Friday of each month. Uh, anyone can join from anywhere across the country. Uh, we often have uh, people from many, many states that pop in. It's an hour and a half session. And, and more detail on that event and how to sign up is on the website. Awesome. Kyle, thanks so much for being here. And thanks for what you're doing with Ripple Intent. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you being here. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Uh, be sure to visit us at www.mcfaglobal.com and connect with us on LinkedIn. You can connect with me individually uh, and with inspiring people and places. Please, uh, if you're getting value out of this, the only thing we ask is that you share it.
Uh, till next time, have a great week and a great weekend. Thanks.